Grace, mercy, and peace to you in the name of God our Father. Amen. You know, as we look to the Bible, the Bible has a lot to say about relationships. And we're in the middle of this series looking at the complexity of relationships and how to make them less complex, you know. And, and so everything we talk about today, again, can be applied to any of the significant relationships in your life. But with that being said, I want to talk a little bit about what it is to be married and how to make it work today. And for those of us who are married, we tried out this thing. We used to use this thing called dating to build a bridge with a significant person that we ended up together with. And we used it because dating is one of those explosive things. It's passionate, it's exciting, everything is new when you're dating. The way she walks is so cute. The way he talks is contagious. You know, those kind of things. There's just nothing like it. I don't know how I lived without him for so long. She's the most amazing creature I've ever met. My wife calls it, my wife calls it being I-L, you know, in love. I, I, I add a few L's to that. I call it being I-L-L-L, being in la-la land, you know, because that's where you are, in the middle of that kind of thing. But then you marry, Okay. And, of course, there's a honeymoon period, which is usually quite awesome. And then the weeks become months, and the months become years, and then the years begin to group themselves together in decades. And what used to be delightfully surprising is now deadly familiar, and he's become oh so ordinary. And she's so familiar. The new has worn off, and what once sizzled now has to work to maintain a fizzle. And yet with all that, God says this about marriage, that it's still the most important earthly relationship that we can have. It is the most important one. And yet as the illustration shows just a little bit, and as experience teaches us from time to time, the reality is that even good marriages hurt from time to time. In fact, every good marriage is in need of an occasional tug and an occasional push every once in a while to get it going in the right direction again. For just kind of remember, whenever you're coasting in life, the only way to coast is downhill. And so we all need to be challenged at times to take the next step in our relationships, to stop the coasting and to begin pedaling again. But I think the question that most of us have is, well, what are those steps? And what are those things that we, we need to look at anew? You know, as we take a look at this, one of the ways I want to start off the discussion this morning is by having you all do a quick audit on your marriages. And if you're not married on your significant relationships, could be friendships, could be with kids, whatever it might be. And I want you to ask yourself this question, how healthy is it, really? And be honest with yourselves. You know, studies say when we ask them about their marriages, studies would suggest that guys always say it great is great, and gals will always say, well, maybe it's just a little less than great, you know. Um, but how great is it, really? How healthy is it? See, if we're going to be honest with us, ourselves, even if we have a great marriage, there's a reality that even great marriages hurt some of the time. But bad marriages, well, the thing about them is they hurt all of the time. And so if you have a lot of pain this morning that you're bringing to your marriage, and I realize that one message is not going to change everything. You probably need surgery on that marriage. But I really do believe that today's the first cut. Today is the surgeon's first slice and the thing that's going to make it work and bring it back to health. And so today I want to start this process by talking about three commitments that God gives us in his word that every marriage absolutely needs. These aren't things that would be a good idea. They're absolute needs or the marriage struggles. And so when we talk about these commitments today, you'll look at the world today and you'll see that a lot of the world does not make these commitments, which is why there's so much struggle. You'll see that even people in this room don't make all of the commitments, which again is why there's struggle. And yet, if we look to God's word, he gives us three just powerful things. 
that can help our relationships and our marriages. And the first one in terms of marriage is this. We need to make a commitment to a long-term growing marriage. I want you to think about when you get married, it's on your wedding day, okay? You just said the I do's, you're really excited, and then you get on this nuclear submarine called a boomer. And the boomers, they go under the water for six months. They don't even come back up for air. They just go down for six months. And you go down in the submarine, and it's just the two of you. You know, it's your honeymoon. For whatever reason, you decided to submarine. And you get in the submarine, and you lock the escape hatch so that the water doesn't get in, and then you go under. What God's encouragement is, is now, he says, jettison the key. Lock the escape hatch and throw away the key. Decide then, decide now that you're going to commit your, the rest of your life to that other person and to be in together. You know, I met a couple the other day that's been married 65 years. 65 years, that's a long time. And I want you just to think about that for a minute because I did. And I want you to think about what is your marriage going to look like after you've been married 65 years? And then I want you to ask the question, what do you want it to look like? I'm going to be 95 years old. We're probably going to be taking hits off each other's oxygen tank at that point. You know, I I don't know what it's going to look like. But she has grandparents that are 102 and 99, so she's going to be there. I mean, hopefully, you know, we'll see. But I was talking about this, and a friend of mine was discussing this with his wife one time, and, and he said, well, let's write it down. And so he wrote, we want to be madly in love with each other, in love with life still and in love with God still. And his wife wrote, I want, us to be, I want you to love me the way you did when we first met. And he said, well, I'd explained that that wasn't quite love. But then she continued. She said, we want to be emotionally intimate, physically intimate, spiritually intimate, and intellectually intimate. We want to be that old couple that is holding hands, being touchy-feely in public, taking walks around the lake, again, getting hits off each other's oxygen tanks. We want to be that couple. We want to have a oneness, a connectedness of indescribable depth. And when I paint that picture... How many of you like a relationship like that? You don't, you don't have to raise your hands. But, but my guess is everybody. Everybody would like that kind of end, right? That kind of marriage. And it's, the question really becomes, why did, why did it do that? Why did it strike a chord? Why is it that you want something like that? And the answer is because it's supposed to. That God designed us somewhere in our spiritual DNA to crave this kind of interconnectedness. And all of us on our wedding day, right? We were thinking, believing, hoping that this is the kind of relationship that we were going to have with our spouse. Otherwise, we wouldn't have said, I do, right? I mean, that was the hope when we said those words to this person that chose to spend the rest of their life with us. See, God gave us this desire and this ability to have relationships. He gave us the capacity to love and to express that love with one another. And he gave us what I like to call the oneness factor. And so it strikes a chord in us because it's designed to strike a chord in us. But like anything, to make it great, well, it takes effort. And that's where we see so many in our world today struggling. You know, when every once in a while when I'm talking about this idea of the oneness factor, somebody will say to me, okay, Pastor, I get that, but, you know, maybe I think that, well, maybe I, I think I just married the wrong person, to which I always will respond, but you know what? You didn't. The reality is that you don't need a new spouse. I know that's countercultural to say something like that. But you don't need a new spouse. What you need, and this is not very popular, what I'm going to say, what you need is a new attitude. I say that because I think most of the time we don't need more words or more strategies or more books on how to figure out how to make our marriage work. To be honest, most of us already know how to make them work. But some of us struggle with this little attitude, I don't want to. I do a lot of marriage counseling, and I met with a ton of couples. And this is the disease that breaks the marriage, the I don't want to disease. 
So again, I'll say you don't need a new spouse. You need a new attitude, and that's all part of commitment. In fact, when was the last time you thanked God for your marriage? For God designed marriages to be good, and they can be good. They can be fantastic. They can be awesome, but it takes commitment. A commitment for a long-term growing marriage where you lock the escape hatch and you throw away the key. So ask yourself, is this an area that I need to recommit to? If you've ever threatened divorce, if you've ever threatened to leave, if you've ever threatened, threat, I keep saying threatened, threatened to, to just walk out, you need to go to your spouse and say you're sorry and recommit never to say those words again. If you want to undermine the foundation of your marriage, that's what you threaten. Because it takes away the security. Why in the world would they work hard to fix the marriage if they think you're just going to quit anyway? This is one, this is one, all three of these are hugely important. But each one that we talk about is vital to the health of your marriage. You've got to bring security to the spouse that said, I do and committed their life to you. You've got to throw away the key so that now, and you're in the sub and you've been fighting, there's no way out. <laughs> you know, I, we've got to figure out how to make this work. It would save so many marriages, just that one. The second thing God goes on to say is that we need to make a commitment to serving our spouse. I say that sounds even less fun than the first one. But Romans 12.10 says this, Love each other with genuine affection. Take delight in honoring each other. For one of the ways that we honor our spouse is we serve. I was reading a book on marriage um, about a month ago, and the author wrote these words. He says, you know, I don't remember very much about premarital counseling, but two things. One, sex starts in the morning. It starts in how you wake up and how you treat your spouse. But he said, I also remember this. If you want to win in marriage, you serve. In Philippians 2, Paul says it a different way. He says this, Life together in love as though you had only one mind and spirit between you. Look to each other's interests, not merely just your own. In other words, Paul is just saying that the bottom line in marriage is that selfishness kills and that serving wins. And this applies to all relationships, to be honest. If you want a healthy relationship, you're serving them in some way. The person who just takes eventually will have no friends left. And so this applies to all relationships, not just marriages. So I want you to think about that just for a bit. In the last 24 hours, what were the opportunities that you had to serve that you either missed or maybe you just didn't want to? I think it's important that we make a list so that we're conscious of those opportunities that we had that we let slip by. And as you're thinking about that, I'm just going to give you some examples from my own life just so you can make fun of me later. But the reality is the best list is much, much longer because she's a better person than I am. But let me just give you some examples. For me, it was getting out of bed in the middle of the night and turning off the ceiling fan, even though she was the last one into bed. And we have it on every night, so I, I don't know what happened. But I did it helping her find the keys when she was the one who lost them, getting her a water at the swim meet because I noticed that she was thirsty even though she had already walked by the stack bar five times going to the bathroom. And perhaps the greatest one of them all, I let her have the last word in our most recent spat. Now those of you who aren't married are saying, that's just pathetic. And those of you that you are married, you're like, you let her have the last word? That's extraordinary. What just happened there? But either way you look at it, it's love. Because love is often found in the little things. And then noticing that somebody else is in need and serving them, finding a way to show the love. And sometimes, I'll just confess, they're very hard to do, aren't they? You say, how long do I have to serve my spouse? Paul says in Romans 13, 8, Pay all your debts except the debt of love to others. 
You can never finish paying that. So when could I stop serving? Paul says, never. You serve your spouse for the rest of your life. And if serving your spouse for the rest of your life seems like hell, it might just give you an indication of the maturity of your love. For the stronger your love, the greater your desire is to serve. Now, some of you are sitting here and listening to this, and you're saying, Pastor, you just don't know. I, I, I'm not, I don't want to meet his needs until he meets my needs. That's a, it's a wonderful cultural statement. It's, it's what you hear in most of the marriage sessions when they come in because they're struggling. But here's a little secret to that attitude. Your spouse is saying the same thing. They don't want to meet your needs until you meet their needs. And so the question always is, who starts? And God says, you do. You start. See, people that don't understand this oneness factor or the, God's design for a biblical marriage, they say things like this, what about my rights? I deserve this or I deserve that. But marriage isn't about demanding rights. If you're a Christian, Jesus never said anything about rights. Jesus spoke about being responsible with love, even if the other person isn't treating you the way that you want them to. He's saying it's all about attitude. And he talks about this attitude in a very, a very drastic way. He said one time, when someone slaps your cheek, you give to them the other cheek. He says if somebody asks you to walk a mile, you decide that you're going to walk two for them. And that that's the difference that Christ makes in your attitude and in your life. And it's hard, isn't it? I can't imagine turning the other cheek. That's got to be brutal. And yet that's what you do in marriage. They make one wise crack, you decide to not wise crack back. They say one thing about the past and you decide not to dredge up the past. You don't always have to retaliate. It's what it's saying. And when they ask for help, you go over and above. That's why the Apostle Paul said one time, it's not me, it's Christ who lives within me that I can do any of this. And so it's not just about locking the escape hatch and it's not just about serving. Though Those are two vital things. It's about saying I'm committed to you and I'm going to keep trying. Those two things by themselves will do wonders in your marriage. But there's a third one that's probably the most important of all, and it's this. It's realizing that the most important relationship that you can have with anybody is with God. In other words, it's the commitment to put God first in your life, to make him the foundation. And this is important because everything else will fail if that foundation isn't there. I I promise you it will. And so what does that mean? It means that marriages are not supposed to be the most important thing in our life. That our relationships with our kids are not supposed to be the most important thing in our life. He says, I want your relationship with me, God, to be the most important thing. That we would seek him first, that we would put him ahead of everything else. And some of us had to learn the hard way that this is true. There are some of our relationships with other people that simply didn't work out because we weren't plugged into him. And we see the results of that and it's painful to look back on. And I believe that the fullest potential of marriage will never be realized until both husband and wife are rightly related to God first and then to one another. John John says it this way in 1 John 1, 7. If we're living in the light of God's presence, then we will have a wonderful fellowship and joy with each other. The key to fellowship and joy, which we all want in the context of any relationship, right? it says to to be in the presence of God. So if I'm pursuing my relationship with God, wanting to be the, a man of God the way he wants me to be, and my wife Beth is pursuing her relationship with God, wanting, her to, wanting a, to be a woman of God herself, then there's something spiritually that binds us together that no seminar, no book, no message can accomplish. Now, I'm not just suggesting that, that if you're not a Christian couple that you can't have a good marriage. Not at all. I, I know better than that. But what I am suggesting is that 
A Christ-centered marriage relationship can add a whole new dimension to who you are and what you bring to that relationship. I might compare a Christ-less relationship to a black-and-white television 12-inch screen and a Christ-centered relationship to a jumbotron picture-in-picture with multiple remotes. Both are getting the picture. It's just a different experience. One is lacking the richness and the fullness of the relationship that Christ offers. Jesus again said it this way in John 15. He says, Remain in me and I will remain in you. You cannot be fruitful apart from me. He just states that. I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I remain in them will produce much fruit. So how do we produce fruit? We remain in him. We're connected to him. At this point, you're saying, Pastor, what's the deal with the fruit? Okay? In Galatians 5, Paul talks about that, and he says this, when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, he'll produce this kind of fruit in us. And as I list this kind of fruit in us, see if it wouldn't be helpful to your relationships or to your marriage. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness and goodness, faithfulness and gentleness, and self-control. You know, no, even as I'm reading this, some of you are saying, I want more of that in my marriage. I I need more patience in my marriage. I I need more goodness and kindness in my marriage. We need more self-control in our marriage. And the promise that God gives us this is that you get it when you're connected in a relationship with him. So if you're here today and you're a seeker, you're checking this whole thing out, I respect your coming. And, And if you're a seeker, I want you to know that we're just alike. We have the same issues. I've got to raise kids. You've got to raise kids. I've got a mortgage to pay. I've got a job. I've got to figure out how to love my wife. I've got events to attend. I've got a life. See, the difference between a seeker and a believer is that a believer, or as a believer, I have a personal relationship with God as the creator of the universe. And so I'm not just a creation. I'm his kid. I'm his child. And because I'm his child, he has come into my life and he said, Mike, all the things that you've done wrong, all the sins that you've done in the past are forgiven. I've wiped them away. They are no more. He's a God that continues to come in and guides me in the present. Knocks me over the head when I go the wrong way and, and he greases the way for the right ways. And he also gives me a hope for eternity. And you start looking at those things and that's a pretty significant difference. To walk through life being forgiven, to have peace, to have hope. And it's a difference that can absolutely change your life for the better. It can change your marriage for the better. And my prayer today is that as we look at these commitments we've talked about, that we would commit to them anew. If we've let those slip, if we've made rash statements, if we've gotten lazy in the way that we look at our spouse or that loved one. And that as you look at these things, you'd begin trusting. And I know trust is a very big word in our society today, and it's very hard to do but that we begin trusting that our God is a power that can change anything and everything and that with Christ nothing is impossible. I give you that today because I don't know where you are in your marriages. Some of you need to remind yourself it's important to keep trying and to keep showing love. Some of us just need to be reminded that we're in this for the long haul. And everybody else probably needs to be reminded that God's got to be first, that he's the one that gives us strength to do the other two. I invite you to to look at God anew this morning and to rejoice in his many mercies. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.